You are tuned to the Martially Speaking Podcast with your host, Jeff Green, a practitioner of Wing Chun Kung Fu, Savat, and JKD. Now, here's your host, Jeff Green. Thank you for that splendid introduction, Angela. This is Jeff Green. I appreciate you joining me for another episode of Marshally Speaking with JG. And if you haven't figured it out already, that is uh, me, Jeff Green. I'm coming to you from the third rock from the sun, United States of America, in Georgia, this quaint city of Lawrenceville, in Gwinnett County, home of the number one high school football player in the country. And I have for you today a true legend, uh, Willie Simmons, who is a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, a civil engineer, a martial artist, and a filmmaker. He has spent time uh, on the sets of movies like Walking Tall, Deep Cover, um, The Color Purple, uh, Lethal Weapon, and actual, he's going to be talking about the martial arts scene, uh, the fight scene in Lethal Weapon with uh, Mel Gibson, uh, so didn't know he had an intimate uh, part in that, but we're going to find out more about that, and without further ado, I think uh, Mr. Simmons is calling in right now. Okay, thank you everyone for joining me on the Martially Speaking Podcast with JG. I have with me today uh, Willie Simmons. When you uh, look up uh, Jack of all trades in the dictionary. You're going to find his picture there. <laughs> you you probably have gathered that from um, the bio that I read to you previously. Willie, how are you today? Not bad, man. Not bad. Thank you for having me on. And you know, it's been um, you've, we've had a couple of resets, and we found out that we have lived like five miles right, from each right. other we've for the past twenty years. years. <laughs> we live within walking distance. Yeah. But then walking distance, honestly. If it was, if you had to get somewhere, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, you you got a lot going on in your bio, so we're just gonna hit it, go down memory road. You ready to go? Yeah, if you guys can have it. <laughs> All right, let's go, man. So um, you started off, um, start off with your college. You went to North Carolina State University. Yeah, but let me, let me let me let me predate that with okay. a little information. Uh, I was, I guess, out of a. A motivation based on my four older sisters and my mother and my father. I tried to uh, do as much as I could, mm-hmm. try to get as deeply involved as I could, and try to be in charge as much as I could mm-hmm. with things that uh, I I liked. So, like in my senior year in high school, I was uh, president of the student body. Okay, and so that set me up for the things that came after. Mm-hmm. That's why I let you know that. Okay. And then uh, I started out at college at North Carolina State, and coupled with uh, an education in engineering, I tried to take martial arts. Okay. Big mistake. First of all, I wasn't that good at studying, mm-hmm. and, and then to take martial arts every night, it was like, one of these got a year. Right. I didn't come to college to do martial arts. Right. And it was... Uh, it was uh, it was it it, it was great, mm-hmm. and I hated to give it up. Uh, the instructor that we had at that time was a smallish, uh, I think taekwondo, yeah, taekwondo uh, stylist. Okay. And 
I saw him accidentally hit his top student in the throat and then revive him. But the thing of the difference between him, he and his top student was vast. Uh-huh. But he took him down. Uh-huh. He, I mean, he dropped the boy just like he uh, was. Was that accidental? Thing. Accidental. Okay. <laughs> but still, it was like, man, if this had been on the street, uh-huh. this little guy would have been on his way home. Right. And, uh, and his assailant would have been on the ground. Right. And then I said, I can see what this leads to, and I want some of it. Right. And then uh, I was taking Army ROTC and realized that uh, with my having difficulty in school, mostly because I wasn't prepared, mm-hmm. my high school didn't offer the kind of math necessary to uh, start an engineering program. Mm-hmm. I do have a degree in engineering, so let's not okay. miss that. Okay. But, uh, I decided that why not go ahead and join the Marine Corps instead of waiting, waiting to become an officer. Mm-hmm. And given that I have the ability to take tests, I could take the military tests and qualify to be an officer. Okay. The problem with that is being a 19-year-old black man in the United States Marine Corps, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work. I don't give a damn how smart you was. I was the smartest guy in the entire company based on that test. Yes, sir. To be an officer, you require a 120 score. Mm-hmm. My score was 142. Mm-hmm. That's exponential. That's not linear. Mm-hmm. That's not geo, 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 geometric. That's exponential. Mm-hmm. So from 120 to 142, it's like, right. So they had to do something with me. And they decided to let me go to analog computer school. Okay. So I was in school for a year, uh, stayed in Marine Corps for two years after that. Mm-hmm. And then as I was getting out, I started taking martial arts to guys that were coming back from countries that I wish I could have gone to okay. had I been a regular Marine. Mm-hmm. But being in the top secret situation with the uh, limited exposure to other Marines, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see these guys until I was getting ready to get out. Right. And so one guy ca- uh, came through. I asked him to teach me a little about Aikido. And it seemed like all he wanted to do was hurt me. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I never had another Aikido instructor, but I know this guy hurt. All right. And I figured maybe anybody, Japanese probably would hurt you to make you tough. Mm-hmm. But I didn't like these guys hurt me. Okay. Then I took a little bit of judo. And then got out. Okay. So when I uh, went to Fulton Junior College, I heard about this guy named Solomon Kaivahu. Solomon was teaching Lima Lama, a little judo, and street fighting. Okay. You're talking about a beautiful street fight. <laughs> uh-huh. He was using, Lima Lama means hands of wisdom. Okay. And if you ever seen a Polynesian display of dance, mm-hmm. It's just beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. Even elegant okay. in its expression. And here... Is this Hawaiian martial art? Yeah, okay. Polynesian. Polynesian, okay. Yeah, Hawaii, he just happened to be Hawaiian. Okay. And his father had taught him judo when he was young, but he didn't appreciate it. Okay. So he found this martial arts uh, to be more to his liking. Mm-hmm. And there's this huge guy named Tito mm-hmm. that was the master of it in the United States. Mm-hmm. So while hanging out with these guys, I would go to tournaments with these guys, and all of a sudden I saw 
this collection of black folks, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. These guys were monsters, man. I have to raise my voice. These guys mm-hmm. were awesome. Right. And it was the Black Karate Federation out of Los Angeles. Okay. And I was living in Orange County where I had been in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. So I eventually moved to uh, L.A. to go to Cal State L.A. to get my degree in engineering. Having mm-hmm. uh, got an AA degree from Cal State Fullerton. Okay. And at Cal State, I started taking uh, judo with mm-hmm. a brother named Randy. I can't remember his last name now so long ago. But between the Lima Lama street fighting and judo, I started to form an opinion that one martial arts style wasn't necessarily the way to go. But I could never find a person that felt that way. Mm-hmm. They always said, I want to stay true to my, even if they knew multiple styles, right. I want to stay true to the styles that I bring to the fight. Okay. And so, uh, I also started learning uh, a little Japanese, mm-hmm. a little Chinese. The language or the arts? Language. Okay. And I had some engineers that I was working with mm-hmm. from all these regions of the world mm-hmm. that these martial arts lived within. Right. So I was learning Mandarin and, you know, it was just dedicating myself to it. There was a guy who had been in the Air Force. He brought me a, a box of Chinese characters so I can learn them because mm-hmm. they had the picture of the character and the meaning of the character. And okay. I was learning, man. I was mm-hmm. learning. And then it was like light dawned over my head saying, Negro, <laughs> you're not Chinese, you're not Japanese, you're not Korean. There's got to be some African-based martial arts in the world. Right. And so I went on a search. And I happened to see uh, Ebony Jr. that had some guys playing copperware down in Brazil. Okay. I tore that page out of that Ebony Jr. and carried it for four years, showing it to people. What year was that? Remember? That was probably, I'd have to think real carefully here. It was. I in, remember Ebony Jr. <laughs> yeah. It was in the 70s. Wow. And I carried that thing around and finally found a Kung Fu stylist. Guy mm. was great, man. He was, in fact, he was Flo Joe's half brother. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And he was dead. Okay. And he was on TV all the time. Those shows where you demonstrate that you could cut a watermelon without killing the guy mm-hmm. and stuff. And so he and I came fast friends. And he said, well, I heard there's some guys down at Watts Tower doing Capoeira. Mm-hmm. And I, by that time, however, I, I gained a lot of weight. And I wasn't so much looking, but just curious. Okay. Because I knew I was too big to do much of anything. Right. And so this was like in January. And I kept calling down the watchtower and saying, like, are they there yet? Are they there yet? Mm-hmm. Are they there yet? And the lady said, they won't be till this summer. And I said, damn. Mm-hmm. But I waited. Mm-hmm. And that summer I went down and started taking classes. And when I went to do an awu, which is like a cartwheel, by being so heavy, I fell on my neck. Okay. And I then became their spokesman. And I learned more about Copperweb than probably I wanted to know. Okay. And for a few years, I went around with them in their demonstrations at private houses, parties, mm-hmm. uh, and... <coughs> <coughs> 
Bless you. And any word that they could uh Were you get practicing together. then as well? Or you just, just Well, okay. I remember I was falling on my head because oh, yeah, okay. I was very okay. overweight. Okay. They found that I had issues with my kidneys and uh okay. they diaries me a hundred pounds okay. after I moved here to Atlanta. Okay. And so I went from three hundred to down to two hundred. Okay. So anyway, back to the martial arts. I learned more and more and more and more. And then I met Dennis Newsom, because he kept saying, Dennis is just as good as your Kung Fu guy, mm -hmm. the one that I just mentioned, uh -huh. Flojo's brother. <laughs> Forgive me, I have a, a okay. throat issue. And so uh, they took me down to San Diego from L.A. Mm -hmm. to meet Dennis Newsom. And in the time after I met him and we became friends, I found out that he did almost every basic African martial arts. Awesome. <laughs> and I started learning them. Okay. And it was so cool, man. It was so cool. And he's based in San Diego, is that yeah. correct? Okay. Dago. In fact, I took him to Europe to the Cannes Film Festival uh -huh. to try to uh, raise interest in my making a movie uh -huh. using Capoeira. Uh -huh. And he would always say, I'm from Dago. I'm from Dago. I said, tell him from L.A. Ain't nobody heard of San Diego. <laughs> 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 but he wouldn't. And so here I come, leaving engineering, and decided to go into show business. Because I want to make martial arts movies now. Okay. <laughs> I used to go to him on my home, way home from work that night. I'm going to keep going. What's your, what's your favorite martial arts movie? <laughs> I don't really have one. Okay. Uh, but I have a series. Uh, the uh, Japanese series, uh, Zatucci. Okay. All his movies. And uh, he's got the little baby. Now, Zatucci is the blind uh, swordsman. Okay. And I used to go to the Japanese theater and watch these martial arts movies almost every night after school. Mm -hmm. I'd be in there until 11 30, mm -hmm. then go home. I don't know what was my wife was thinking. <laughs> and. Uh, then I got a buddy who's still my best friend uh, 40 years later who used to go with me after a while. Mm -hmm. And man, I said, I got to do this. I want to do this. I want to make movies using martial arts. So after I started my career in show business and had been in there for a while, this, I started in 80 and 85, I got Lethal Weapon. And uh, let's not just gloss over that lethal weapon. That's a pretty big hit. That's, <laughs> that's a cult classic, man. Well, the thing with this, with the I great chokehold at the end by Mel Gibson, <laughs> <laughs> which I think was probably some jujitsu. I don't know. Oh, great. Yes, sir. And so what happened in my pursuit of martial arts? I had also met Gracie, and I was taking classes from her. Okay. And the which one? Which one were you? Harian. Harian. Okay. Yeah, Harian was the guy. There was really nobody else here. Okay. Harian had come in an attempt to get people to know about Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and he had been here eight years. Mm -hmm. And he worked for me as an extra during those eight years. Is that right? Gracie. Is that right? He was the orange extra who ate watermelons at lunch and cantaloupes instead of eating from the catering. Is that right? Eight years I knew Gracie. Uh -huh. So one of my guys that I had met before took me to a, a match between Gracie and a guy named Alegria. Mm -hmm. 
those tournaments I used to come up from Orange County to watch mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, Solomon Kai Bahu and his uh, martial artists. Mm-hmm. I saw all these guys, man, Allegria, his brother, and everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Long Beach Karate Festival, International. I mean, anywhere I could go, I went to a karate tournament. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, I was just seeing stuff I couldn't believe, man. Guys that would wait, 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 and then you attack, and they would just tear you apart. Right. And then guys that were aggressive, so Kaji Kempo, the guys would never give you a chance to do a damn thing. They're all over you, man. <laughs> and then I see Kung Fu stylists to try to get in there, and they get slapped silly. Mm-hmm. And I said, look at all this stuff, man. So when I got to, like I said, when I got to uh, Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. I was reading the script, and uh, the uh, Shane Black had been 21 years old when he wrote the script. And I said, this guy hasn't even been in a pillow fight, mm-hmm. much less had a martial arts fight. Right. So how, what did he know about Lethal Weapon? Mm-hmm. So I went to Dick Don and said, uh, asked him, could I talk to him for a minute? I said, me and several of my friends know more about Lethal Weapon than Shane. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, show me. I got on the phone real quick oh, and, 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 and said, Cedric, get up here. Cedric, get up here. Uh-huh. One of my guys. Okay. And he came up, put on a demonstration with Dick Donner, and he said, you got it. Mm-hmm. You have my permission to train my actors for Lethal Weapon and make Mel Gibson a Lethal Weapon. Wow. Using basically African-based martial arts. Wow. And then after we got going, I just had the two guys, my guys, mm-hmm. and I said, well, hey, why don't I do this the way I want to? Different martial arts, different portions of a fight. Mm-hmm. The initial part where you close the gap and you get engaged with one another. Mm-hmm. Second, when you get really on top of each other. And then the last, grappling on the ground. Right. And so I said, I want Harry and Gracie on this too. The unit production manager who's responsible for the budget said, hell no. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I said, come on, man, you, got, you, you, you have to. Uh-huh. And so I talked them into it, too. So now I have three guys. Right. And so I used that mixture of mixed martial arts. And they were capoeira uh-huh. for the kicks at a distance. Jailhouse Rock, a prison assassin's martial arts, but we were right on top of each other fighting. It's like an like a uh, advanced boxing. Jailhouse it's like boxing. dirty boxing. Is it? Is it it's worse. It's worse than dirty boxing. Or, or twelve blocks or tw- fifty-two blocks is jailhouse. Rock. Okay, okay, okay. Fifty-two blocks, yes. Yeah, and uh, Mike Tyson is a practitioner. Okay. And so uh, that's what we use when the guys got right on top of each other, mm-hmm. and then Gracie Jiu Jitsu, as you witness, is at the end where he's choking them and. Uh, got him trapped in an arm lock. Mm-hmm. And that was my mixed martial arts for Lethal Weapon that got Lethal Weapon three more uh, movies and a TV series. Yeah, that may have been the first time we've seen mixed martial arts on screen. It's because typically time. you see one type of martial art. Exactly. That's and awesome. that was my idea. That's awesome. And what made it even more interesting following that, mm-hmm. if you look real carefully at the credits, there's a movie that came out immediately following, uh, let me see if I can remember the name of it now, Roadhouse. Okay, Roadhouse, uh, is that Kurt Russell? 
not Kurt Russell. Uh, I'm uh, his name. Right now. I know who you're talking about. But the thing <laughs> of it is, <laughs> Patrick Swayze. Yeah, Patrick Swayze. Yes. The thing of it is, is it was mixed martial arts, mm-hmm. and the crew that did *Lethal Weapon*, same crew. Wow. They commissioned a script so they could use my concept of mixed martial arts. Awesome. And then Grayson went out, and because they do mixed martial arts in Brazil, uh-huh. he got a contract because of Mr. Weapon to put on mixed martial arts. Is that and right? The rest history. That's a history. <laughs> Who would have known that? No, I didn't know <laughs> We all know it now. Now I know it. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Do so, so, you still have a relationship with, with uh, Grayson? Uh, I can call him. He come, yeah. I can call awesome. him. I call him over the years, different times. Mm-hmm. But I try not to bother him because with his uh, with his riches and his exposure and everything, because he was begging me to be in Lethal Weapon Two, and I said I don't know if I'm going to be bothered right. with Lethal Weapon Two. Right. And uh, he went and got in it anyway, so he was so excited to be in the movies that I anticipate in the future, and I don't think too distant future, I'm going to have a TV series. Not a TV series. It's going to be a movie. No, it's a TV series. I mm-hmm. forgot. Mm-hmm. It's called Codename Mr. Moto. Okay. And Mr. Moto back in the 40s was a Jew. He was a Judo or Jiu-Jitsu master. Okay. But he was an undercover secret agent. Okay. And so my guy, Codename Mr. Moto, mm-hmm. is because his buddies call him Mr. Moto because he does crazy Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that, did they ever get a pilot or anything? I just something me to finish putting together the proposal. Awesome. But I think that would be good, and I think I can get Gracie involved. Awesome. Gracie loves Little Camel. That's awesome. Let me say that. <laughs> he loves Little Camel, man. Any other martial artists that you worked with uh, uh, in, the, in the movies? Uh, yeah, almost everybody. Mm. Uh, in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I hired Danny and Santo to be in that. There's a, oh, is that right? Yeah. There's a scene where Pee-wee's having a dream, kind of. Uh, no, they make a movie of Pee-wee's life. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was against a bunch of kids uh, in real life. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, they put him against ninjas. Okay. And so the ninjas are all famous ninjas. Okay. Uh, my old instructor, when I first moved to L.A., was Steve Sanders, mm-hmm. who is currently Steve Muhammad. And he's near 90 years old. Mm. Steve Muhammad was so damn good that he bested Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. Steve is fast. Yeah. You think Bruce Lee was fast? Yeah. Steve is fast. Mm-hmm. And Steve had a student that's even faster. His mm-hmm. name was Frank Nitty. Yeah, I remember you telling me Frank Nitty him. used to be a Kung Fu stylist. And as people started to become part of what Steve Sanders was doing, mm-hmm. they came over to Steve Sanders to amplify their Kung Fu. And Frank Nitty was so fast. Mm-hmm. That in in uh, tournaments they wouldn't see him almost hitting the guy, uh-huh. and Fred Nitty got tired of that. I mean, more than once I saw him do it. Right. He would actually knock the guy out nope. to prove that yes, I, I did. Him. Yes, I did hit him. Yeah. Uh, yes, I did. Could have hit him. And yeah. you guys don't believe it? I'm gonna show you. And you wouldn't even see Sh- uh, Nitty's hands move. Mm. And if you look in the key, in the uh, uh, it's something I sent you. And mm-hmm. the, the note on it was, Frank Nitty, probably the fastest man. Yes, I his, remember you yeah, saying that. Fastest martial artist in history. How big was he? Your size. He's about my size. Wow. Describe yourself. Yeah. 
Right I'm going to look at 5'7", 150. Right would have probably been about 5'9", mm. and probably 165 because of his muscles and so forth. But wow. incredibly fast. Mm. And so were the guys in his little group. He had a group of three guys. Mm-hmm. Every one of them was fast, but Fred Nitty. Just a blur. What style did they um, practice? Well, they, the they, they, they came to Kempo after leaving uh, one of the Kung Fu styles. Okay. And they were just... Did any of these guys train with Bruce? Do you know? Um, no, no. Or... I don't think there was much of that going on. But they all would have been around the same ages. I think Guru Dan's in his 80s now. And you said Steve is 90. Guru, Guru Dan is maybe close to 89. Yeah. He's still training, too. Uh, yeah, my, my guy is training him. Yeah. Uh, uh, Guru Dan is a friend. Yeah. I went to three of his seminars. And I, I made a mistake going to the first one because mm-hmm. I had only been at the school. I, I was at Francis Fong at the time. I've probably been there for like five months. And I was not ready for a Guru Dan seminar. I learned one thing. He was just so, I couldn't take it all in. I was, I was in awe. I was just standing there with my mouth open. I think I got one thing from that whole seminar. But I was happy to have gone because I was like, man, I'm just rich. I just, this is a legend. This is Bruce Lee's best friend. And I don't know, I can't do any of the stuff that he just did. Except one thing. <laughs> Well, it was just way above my pay grade. Well, let me tell you more about Guru Dan. When I was doing the second, considering doing the second lethal weapon, I said, I need to introduce another martial arts. And I said, let me find something. Mm-hmm. And I found Savat. Mm-hmm. Well, my Savat practitioner came and I did a short film. Okay. I still got to find that film. It was beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. So we did a short film with him. And he and I stayed friends for the last 30 some years. Is that right? Yeah. And he's gone on to become Guru Dan's business partner. Is that right? And he took uh, Bruce Lee's place teaching all of Bruce Lee's martial arts. Is that right? Yes. Wow. Unfortunately, he died last month. He was hit. Pro- in Professor a, Salim? Uh, Salim, yeah. That's my instructor. I trained with <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm one of his students, sir. When he comes. When he comes to uh, Sulu, yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was I was about to ask you. I was like, you would be talking about Professor Slip, would you? Oh, my God. He is incredible. You talk about boxing with your feet. And, you know, I, I, I cried when when, uh, when I got a phone call. Yeah. Saying that he had been hit in a yeah. motorcycle accident. Mm-hmm. And that he had gone to a 51-day coma. I couldn't stop crying, yeah. even right now. He, we, we were so close. Every every time that you've had a class with him, I've had lunch with him the day before. Is that right? Wow, yeah. He I, comes in early and meets Suli and he have lunch together. Is that right? Well, I'm, I'm ranked in Wing Chun, Savat, and Jeet Kune Do. And he's, so, he was my instructor. And you know he's Guru Dan's. Yes, yes, yes. And I've been to their school down there because they've had it a long time. And I used to go over there to visit Celine. And I already knew Dan also. So uh, I was at Dan's uh, last rank in Stabat mm-hmm. uh, test. Okay. Shit, that was 20-some years ago. Wow. But I was there because I was visiting uh, Celine. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was just, 
I just had those exposures. Then I got uh, Bruce uh, Wesley Snipes' bodyguard. Okay. He just died. And uh, he went from being uh, one of the Kempo guys that mm -hmm. trained me back in the 70s mm -hmm. to becoming a Salat practitioner. Salat, okay. And so that exposed me to Salat. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I got another martial arts. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I got one that's more beautiful to watch that was than anything that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And so now that's my preferred martial arts for any movie idea. The Salat. Yeah, wow, that's but crazy. not as practiced by Guru Cliff Stewart mm -hmm. as practiced by Fred Maestro. Okay. And this is one of the most elegant, the most believable, the most useful martial arts I've seen in all my years. Yes, sir, I agree. And uh, we had it for a time. Uh, Simu Tracy had brought it back from Guru. She had got certified. And I did about 10 hours of it, and it went away. I don't know what happened, but we were going to start c like class. Yeah. And I loved the up and down. I yeah. loved changing the levels. It was awesome. It was so unpredictable. World, yeah. It was very unpredictable. I liked the destruction. So I got about 10 hours. I got enough of it to know I wanted to do more of it, <laughs> but then it kind of went away, and I don't know if they ever brought it back. But, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, So you see what I'm saying? It's beautiful. I've seen all around the world. Mm-hmm. Every culture that ever needed a martial arts mm. has one. Yes, sir. It's just because I don't know about it don't mean it doesn't exist. Right. And so I made a point to expose myself mm -hmm. as I could, either by video or going places or whatever, back when I could travel well, to meet and, and observe. Right. And that's why, you know, I feel now when I make my movies, after 42 years since I first got in the Directors Guild, mm -hmm. uh, they will contain martial, martial arts, arts. And the ones that I can will have a lot. That's awesome. That's your preferred. There's many things that I've seen, man, and I've seen a lot of good stuff. It's uh -huh. a lot, man, as practiced by Fred Maestro. Maestro yes, uh -huh. is supreme. Yes. Street applicable, great for uh, oh my God. agents. You know, I'm really scared of nobody, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do I walk through the valley. <laughs> the, the valley, I'm the baddest. So I think we had talked previously um, about some of the African martial arts, and I think I had told you that my thought was that a lot of martial arts probably originated from Africa. We just don't know that, like a lot of things, the alphabet being one of them, the phonics. Um, can we talk a little bit about that, some of the African martial arts yeah. and how they yeah. impacted the, the rest of the world and the martial arts that have come down since Way, then? way back when I was still in the Marine Corps, uh, and I, no, just soon after I got out and I started going to these tournaments, and I saw that what Steve Sanders did, now Steve Muhammad, mm -hmm. wasn't regular Kempo. Mm -hmm. Chinese Kempo is Chinese Kempo, but these guys didn't do any katas. All they did was fight. Okay. And I said, okay, yeah, the cops got their purpose, but these guys are better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So what you going to go with? Mm -hmm. The practicality of what you're seeing versus traditional Korean, Japanese, and everybody else with their cops and, and this and that. And then you get them in the street and they get slapped, you know, slapped down right. and, and stomped on. Uh -huh. 
And Steve Sanders guys, you know, no, no. you remember BKL? Mm-hmm. You bad. Yes. Just saying BKL, everybody started backing off. And that's the Black Karate Federation. Black Karate Federation started. Were they started. only in, that, in Los Angeles, or did they have? Well, they others? years later. Okay. Those guys started moving out, mm-hmm. like uh, Guru Cliff Stewart. He moved to DC because he became a teacher at Howard. Mm-hmm. He majored in film at UCLA, and in '74 he moved to DC. Mm-hmm. And that's the last time I saw him until he was back mm-hmm. as Wesley Snipes' bodyguard. Mm-hmm. He was Muhammad Ali's bodyguard. He was everybody's bodyguard. Okay. And he's a great loss to martial arts. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, Guru Cliff uh, started doing executive bodyguarding, and he would have me come to his classes to watch. Mm-hmm. He knew I liked to see mm-hmm. what was going on. Right. And after I made connection with him again, he would invite me. I was the only non-participant mm-hmm. that he would invite. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, God, man, I'm living the life. <laughs> I'm living the life. Yeah. And so uh, almost every aspect of martial arts, like I said, I've seen, mm-hmm. and my, made my determination that a mixed martial arts is far more effective in real life. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in my movies, which fortunately for me, I get a chance to portray my inner visions. Right. I want to show that. Mm-hmm. First of all, in my movies, my adversary... It's always got to be equal to my hero. In terms of skill, martial arts? Exactly. What is that if you can't believe that your hero is going to lose? Right. I agree. (laughs) He's got to have a chance to lose. I mean, like Steven Seagal, he just goes in and tears everybody apart. Right. No. you got to be some chance that your boy... You're right. He never has an equal. (laughs) you got to have a chance that your boy is going to get hurt. And uh, so I'm going to have terrifying bad guys. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you ever work with Bolo? Uh, That's my favorite bad guy. Did, uh, <laughs> no, Bolo no, Young. I did. I did work the professor that uh, in the James Bond movie he took his hat off uh-huh. and uh, threw it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I worked with you him. Oh, wow. He gave me his signature and everything. I did a a half hour TV series. Is that right? He came on as an actor, but Bolo, no, I don't think. He, he was in the United States. He didn't work. He he probably didn't come over here. He, he, he didn't. He was so over. big in China. Exactly. He's so big, and you know his bulk mm-hmm. made him not that attractive for most movies. I mean, most American stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I never got to be exposed to him. Mm-hmm. But you got to understand that in movies, if there's ever any martial arts, if they come across my movie, I get to feel. Right. I get to know him. Right. And. Uh, do you trade lessons for you? Do any like? No, I, <laughs> I just sit with him for a while, like I'm sitting with you, yeah, and 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 talk and find out. Yeah, like there was a lot of pro wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Like when I was doing uh, the Incredible Hulk, Hulk always had to have somebody. Right. And this guy H. R. Richardson, I think. Uh-huh. I may be confusing with a politician, but he told me I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break they both Luf- talk a lot of shit. So. <laughs> he said, I'm going to break Luferino's arm. I said, no, man, no. Mm-hmm. Why, why? He said, imagine what my reputation would be like if I broke Luferino's arm. Right. Now, I, I took him seriously. Uh-huh. He probably so full of crap. Uh-huh. But I took him seriously. Because mm-hmm. he had Luferino in that ring where Luferino, uh, you know, becomes the Hulk and gets mad. Right. Uh, well, Bill Bixby, and uh, then Hulk fights H.R. 
but he he was determined to do it, and he could. He could. Yeah, uh, uh, Luke Rico was no fighter. Yeah, yeah, Luke Rico was just a bodybuilder. So you work with any other wrestlers? I probably have. Yeah. I can't remember anybody right now yeah, yeah, yeah. in particular. Yeah. But uh, what do you like about working with martial artists? Those are really good, and I have a few in my environment now. Mm-hmm. The elegance or something like that, at the same time, it's destructive power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a contradiction that is beautiful because they can be, at the same time, both destructive and beautiful. All right. And I found that in Capoeira. Mm-hmm. And I found that in uh, almost any martial arts that has sweeping kicks that will kick your legs out from under you before you know it's happening. Capoeira was one of them. Capoeira was one of them. And um, I enjoy watching those. Mm-hmm. It's just certain Hapkido, Hapkido has some of that too. And, and one of my guys was a, hot, was a Hapkido stylist that trained Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. So he was integrating a little Capoeira, Hapkido. Aikido, because he had a black belt in old Aikido. How long does it take to take... So did Mel Gibson have any martial arts background before? No. So how long does it take to get Seven him pro- proficient? Seven weeks. Seven weeks, and yes. you got him proficient. Wow. Because, first of all, you also see in the movie that we did with uh, Richard Pryor called mm-hmm. Moving, mm-hmm. that they tried to mimic the Jailhouse Rock initial movement. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know... You know, like you hear, uh-huh. and you, I can't do it now. Uh-huh. Uh, all that 52 blocks. 52 stuff. blocks, yeah. Anyway, you'll see both of them trying that. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the fight with Mel Gibson at the end, uh-huh. he's doing that. Is that right? And I got to go check this out. If you look at moving, uh, uh, Richard Fry's in uh, a white key doing that. Okay. That's because I sent my guys down to do moving. Wow. Also, same thing with. Uh, uh, the Mighty Queen. Mm-hmm. He's playing Capoeira. That's Denzel, right? Yeah, he's playing Mighty. He's playing. Uh, he's playing Capoeira in Mighty Queen. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Now and that was you know, another case where I got the movie mm-hmm. and my guys trained. Another famous person that I understand you work quite a bit with is um, the, the great Pam Greer. <laughs> <laughs> now oh, I had to bring man. that up because anybody in our age. Uh, oh, Definitely wants to hear about Pam Greer. Anybody, <laughs> let me see. Anybody probably... Foxy Brown. 55 and older knows Pam Greer. Yes. And anybody that was watching, reading Playboy in 1973 <laughs> knows, knows Pam Greer. And so I'm in Las, in Las Vegas doing the TV series Crime Story, mm-hmm. based in 1954 by Michael Mann, mm-hmm. uh, um, the great Miami Vice producer. Mm-hmm. And he brings on Pam, get the hell out of here, Greer. Wow. Man, and he designed a costume for her that accentuated her breasts. Oh, my God. And I said, don't do that. Did, did, he, did he, he need to do that? Oh, yeah. Come <laughs> on, man. Come on. That's... That, what was yeah. she like to work with? Wonderful. Wonderful. And where's she from originally? You know? I don't know. I don't want to say Cleveland. I don't I'm from Somewhere Cleveland. Somewhere like, I remember uh, uh, Rosie Greer, her cousin, uh-huh. 
was from that area. Definitely, I'm thinking. I'm from Cleveland. For some reason, I did not know Rosie Greer was her cousin. Yeah, Rosie Greer, that was always been I did Rosie not know Greer's that. Cool Is she still around? Yeah. She's still around. Now, here's how I became more impressed with her. She said, Willie, I got to go. Remember, we're in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I got to go back to L.A. for this weekend. So that's where I'll be. Because, you know, something changed. I got to call the actors, but they haven't let me know where they're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, I've got a board meeting. I said, board meeting? No. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, I own all my movies. Wow. Didn't I know that? Oh, man. She was a, she was a player. Oh, man. <laughs> she was making moves man. back in the day. She owns all of her movies. Man. All the movies. Mm. Especially What a now. concept. Especially now when you can... Yeah, because you can dump them up in Netflix and rental box and everything. All over the place. And damn good, man. I, got, I, I just got a high appreciation for her. And she handles herself well, mm-hmm. given that her big introduction was in the news. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, it didn't stop Quentin Tarantino from making a movie about her. She 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 handled herself. So that well movie was that. great too. When she came back to do that Quentin Tarantino movie, she was yeah. awesome. She deserved. But I think I snuck in to see at the <laughs> Scrumpty Dump Theater in Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> where we snuck in to see Enter the Dragon and Superfly yeah, and man. everything else. But I think I snuck in to see the Parent Group movie. I, mean, I couldn't sleep for weeks. This <laughs> <laughs> stuff, man, and, and I'm proud that I was fortunate enough to have that exposure. Mm-hmm. And I met a lot of actors. Like I did uh, a remake, a movie re- remake of Get Smart. Yeah, yeah. Man. I got to meet everybody and Get Smart. Mm-hmm. And it's like, come on, man, I'm, I, I grew up with this. Don Adams. And, and here I am talking to Don Adams one on one. How many times does the person get that mm-hmm. opportunity? And, and on and on, you know, Al Pacino, you know. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, uh, everybody from Saturday Night Live. I've worked with at least 15 people from Saturday Night Live. Wow. Yeah. So like I said, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Chevy Chase from National Lampoon's Vacation. I did uh, Dragnet 89 with Dan Yeah, because all of those guys spun off into movies back then. Did Garrett Morris ever spin off into a movie? I don't Not think he did. Not by himself. No. He's been in a lot of movies, though. Yeah. He's been one recently uh, in the last five years. Okay. So he, he does his share of you know, being busy. But uh, who had, who, who's impressed you the most out of all the actors and actresses you've worked with? Besides Pam. <laughs> uh, I got to say, I've always been impressed with Dad Ackroyd. Okay. And it was not, as, well, yeah, seeing him work uh, playing Dragnet, one of my favorite original half-hour TV series when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, to be there with him as he played that that style, that, that, that he stylized that character to match the no-bullshit attitude of yeah. the original. Uh, I enjoyed that. So what was the guy's name? What was the cop's name? Uh, Frank. Uh, I know what it is, kid. Yeah, Speed. I, I can't remember right <laughs> Speed. Now. Grass. Come on. We know what it is. <laughs> That was a great show. Because he was like, just the facts, man. <laughs> just the facts. And then with Dan Eckerall was saying the same thing, man. He mm-hmm. captured it. Mm-hmm. And I've always appreciated for his, him for his ability to capture a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as an assistant director, director, I just 
just amazing to be in that environment where you see such creative people mm-hmm. working and you're part of it. So let me ask you this. What part do you think martial arts, besides getting, you know, creating kind of a gateway for you, a pathway for you to introduce a lot of them into movies, how do you think it's helped you in your career? Well, given that it gives me Lethal Weapon as one of the movies that I made, mm-hmm. it's really a bit yeah. of an asset and influence in a few other movies, like Colors. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of scenes in Colors that I... Colors? Oh, you did Colors? Yeah, I was second day doing Colors. Don Cheeto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, great movie. All of them, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, Grand Bush, uh, Don Cheeto, the whole gang of them, man. Mm. Oh, my favorite was the guy that used to be on the Hill Street Blues. He played the Hispanic uh, gang leader. Okay. And uh, when we got him on Colors, man, we put a gun in his hand, and it's like magic, man. He had to go up. He had to go up against this house where some bad guys were. He was a bad guy mm-hmm. fighting bad guys. But it's the way he moved, okay. the way he moved, man. And again, I'm a big, big fan of people that dance well, move well, mm-hmm. do martial arts. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, when he came on this house, man, in colors. Mm-hmm. It was believable, man. Uh-huh. It was like he's going to do some destruction right. when he gets down inside that house. <laughs> that fight scene with Don Cheeto at the end with the cop, who did that? Uh, in colors, Don Cheeto doesn't fight. Was, was, I thought it was... No, no, no. That's, uh, no, that's a movie. He, he shot that's him another up. movie. No, this one, uh, the person that fought uh, in that movie... Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. I know him well. Mm. He used to live near me in L.A. He also did that that, that bus movie where the bus couldn't uh, reduce his speed, mm-hmm. and he was driving a Jaguar, mm-hmm. and he took the door off of the Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to still remember his name. But anyway, he was a martial artist with third-degree black belt okay. in karate. Okay. And he said if... Uh, if uh, what, what, what's the name? What, what's the style of colors? I forget him. So who's that? Who's the star colors? Don. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Um, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember. Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. And, but, and, the main Was it Sean Penn? Sean Penn. Sean Penn. He said, if you don't tell Sean to stop hitting me, I'm going to knock him the fuck out. (laughs) And so it's like, I said, uh, that was kind of his breakout. Well, no, he was a kid actor, but that was like his... his Sean had been around so long. Yeah, he had been around because he was a kid actor, but that was like his... was just another one of his interesting movies. Mm-hmm. Was he a fighter? Yeah. Because he actually I, gave the impression Sean that he was, was a... Sean was a professional boxer. I did And let me tell you the story. On Colors, I have I always try to have my guys come on the set so they can learn how the set works. Mm-hmm. And Dennis came down to visit me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis is my... He's uh, a capoeira guy. He's a capoeira guy who also does multiple other uh, African-American martial arts. Mm -hmm. No, African-based martial arts. And so he was there, and Sean challenged him. Mm Because he was... My guy, Dennis, was showing the the police, the sheriffs, and somebody else what he could do. Mm -hmm. And the sheriffs would get him in a lock, and he'd just get right out of it. Mm-hmm. And I had one police who said, hell, if I knew that somebody would get out of that lock, I would never put, use it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you scared me to death. Mm-hmm. And so Sean comes out. Sean is a professional boxer. Mm-hmm. And so Sean said, well, he, I can't beat me. 
and I, I get it to Dennis real quick. Don't hit the actor in the face. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, <laughs> try not to hit him. All right. So he slipped every punch. Sean Penn, the professional boxer, threw at him. Is that right? Piss Sean oh. the fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> Ooh, Sean was so mad because he was embarrassed in front of the sheriff, uh-huh. the police. They hired the choke. Uh-huh. They were all watching. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't land a blow. Wow. And Dennis was like, <laughs> And Sean just threw him, man. <laughs> and Dennis. And, and uh, it was beautiful, yeah. man. But Sean. I got the impression. I never knew that. I just He looked like he was a fighter. Yeah, he was a professional boxer. One thing martial arts gives you is a good eye for people. Yeah. <laughs> I can typ- I can typically see, see somebody. Yeah. Okay, this guy, yeah. I'm not going to bother walk. this dude. <laughs> yeah. Way to turn. Yeah. yeah. And people ask me, do I ever use it? I said, I think I do because nobody bothers me. <laughs> so if you yeah, carry you, yourself in a yeah, white way, and, the, and that's the confidence, I think, that yeah. martial arts. And I'm a big proponent of that. I was going to Walmart the other day, and there are people up there about stopping bullying, stopping. I said, teach them martial arts. I'm not going to give you any money. Teach them martial arts. They were collecting money about, but I was serious. Mm-hmm. I said, we need to teach kids martial arts how to defend themselves. Well, that and, was it. Remember the rights of passage back when we go back to any culture, mm-hmm. how you teach the boys to become men. Mm-hmm. And in certain uh, environments uh, in Africa, you send the kids out. To bring back a lion, a lion or yeah. something, you know, mm-hmm. by himself. Mm-hmm. So that's what's lacking, I think, in our current environment, where you, the kids don't make that transition to go from being just that kids right. to responsible adults. Well, they started they started Twitter beef. <laughs> that's what they do now. <laughs> yeah. you, see, you know, you got to go out. If Jimmy doesn't eat, unless you go out and kill the meat. Mm-hmm. That's responsibility, and you wear that. Right. And like we were saying, you can see a martial artist, you know, across the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who has to go out and, and bring back meat for the for the community mm-hmm. is going to be responsible as hell. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we don't have enough of. Right. And also, group activities. Right. Uh, when you see the gangs, the Crips, and the Bloods, and so forth, that's a group environment where you're going to be masculine. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have that, or you don't have one that's good for the young adult, it gets messy. Mm-hmm. And when it's time to be responsible for your wife, be responsible for your kids, mm-hmm. and teach your kids as the next generation to be manly men and mm-hmm. you know women, mm-hmm. you're losing your people. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, that, that sense of community right. and the sense of, again, caring for the community doesn't get developed. Right. And I think that's one thing that we've got to do more. I think a lot of those gang members are looking for a sense of belonging to exactly a group. And that's what people come to martial arts for, too. And that's why I think... A lot of people get that when they go... I went to martial arts because I was 40 and I couldn't jump anymore. And I, I was a terrible athlete and I was gaining weight. But a lot of people go because they just want to belong to something. Mm-hmm. And if we could replace the gangs with martial arts... Man, what country we could be in. To be, actually be turning out young leaders instead of young criminals. <laughs> and, and what's more better, though, is we have uh, martial arts born of our history. 
mm-hmm. which is what I was going for, and it's why they'll be in my movies. Right. And people just like they were influenced with Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Gracie went from being the only person here and his brother Horace, Horace to having at least 200 of his cousins, brothers, and other relatives occupy almost every big city in the United States is teaching right? Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Mm. They got the word out. And, and they all moved up here. All behind me using the lethal weapon, him taking advantage of that opportunity. Wow. And so imagine the impact we could have on our black youth mm-hmm. by giving the opportunity to see a black historical martial arts. Because mm-hmm. just like we do everything else, uh, Capoeira has done the music. Mm-hmm. All right? And Maestro Zilong came from Brazil in 1974 and was doing it in New York. And they saw him and they saw, so breakdancing and all that is half of, of Capoeira. Yeah, yeah. It's one half of the Capoeira match. Right. And the music, that's the music that goes along with Capoeira. Right. So all that influences, in fact, that, that, that's where hip hop comes from. Geelong, mm-hmm. 1974. The Hudlin Brothers took martial arts from Geelong. So when I went to visit the Hudlin Brothers in New York, is that right? I didn't know that. They took, they took me to Geelong studio. Okay. And the reason why I went with them is I saw a video here in, in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. that they were showing. It was the husband brothers and Spike Lee sitting together, and I was sitting directly behind them. And this Capoeira video, mm-hmm. short, was on the screen. And I said, who the hell made my movie? <laughs> like that. Because I intended to make one like that. Mm-hmm. It was really well made. Mm-hmm. And Reginald Hudlin had made it mm-hmm. because he and his brother would take Capoeira from Geelong. The guy who brought copperware uh, and uh, breakdancing and everything else to New York in '74. Is that right? Wow. And from that point, wow. I did was doing a documentary, and I learned the interaction between copperware and uh, hip hop. Now, mentioned interesting. You mentioned that from what I know about capoeira, and I'm not an expert, but that um, this is a martial art that was exported from Africa for the slaves, brought it with them. Bantu tribesmen brought it to the this region of the world, mm-hmm. North and South America, but primarily to South America. Mm-hmm. And and and, and uh Pernambuco was a community that uh was in North America. I mean North, uh, the northern part of South America mm-hmm. where when the Dutch in the sixteen hundreds took over from the uh, Portuguese mm-hmm. with the slaves because like the, the, a, a Dutch ship came into the harbor, conquered the Portuguese, sent them packing, and took over the community. Mm-hmm. The slaves disappeared into the mountains. Okay. They, uh, they just weren't good, the Dutch weren't good at supervising their slaves. Okay. And they formed communities. And these communities uh, advanced what the Bantu tribesmen already knew. Mm-hmm. And they, it, that's where Capoeira formed mm-hmm. in the north of Brazil, Brazil. Okay. So that's then as they would come to America and live up in the Bay Area, Capoeira started to take hold in America. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history with that too. So the, the dance aspect of Capoeira, was that in the art prior to 
coming to here, or was it was it put in to disguise the art from the slave masters so that they didn't know that they were practicing? What those guys in the mountains were doing, they were coming down at night and training the other slaves that were still on the plantations, Mm -hmm. and they did disguise it more as a dance so that it could be practiced with the slave owner watching. Right. Okay. But you know, in any martial arts, it's meant to be engaged with very little uh, preamble. Mm-hmm. And so as a consequence, they did have to pretty much add the dance mm-hmm. part to it. Wow. It's it, called the Jinga. The Jinga, yes, sir. Yeah. I saw Capoeira in one movie. It was not the major part of the movie, but there was a Capoeira fighter. I can't remember which one. Well, there's, there was a period there, just like with Judo, Grace mm-hmm. Jiu Jitsu, mm-hmm. where a lot of people were using it, right? Right. And then it disappeared. They don't mm-hmm. know how to shoot it. Mm-hmm. It's too alien to their perception of a martial arts fight mm-hmm. to know how to use it. And so Why do you it, say that? It, well, just like lethal weapon. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't use what I trained the actors to do well. Mm-hmm. Lethal weapon. In fact, the DP, the director of photography, came to me and said, they really messed up your fight, didn't they? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, but at least I still had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they never seen it before. It, it, it doesn't make sense to their... their uh, I don't know what to call them. Their sensibilities as non-blacks, mm-hmm. they don't they don't understand it. Right. And uh, and a lot is of the rhythm, the rhythm effect. No, just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. It's just not it's not there. Mm-hmm. Which is why I went looking for it. I said, I'm not Chinese, Japanese, or Korean. Mm-hmm. Why, why why am I learning Chinese mm-hmm. to speak Chinese? Mm-hmm. And the same thing, they're not African. Right. And so you got. Uh, Sabat that you know about. Mm-hmm. That when the uh, the Navy the Navy taught Sabat to the uh, French sailors. Okay. They lived it on boat. Okay. And so that. when they traveled, they saw something similar, mm-hmm. and it evolved into Sabat and into French about uh, Francais, mm-hmm. French foot fighting. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one that evolved to from an African culture to the uh, northern uh, uh, white culture. Mm-hmm. So, but very little else. Sub-Saharan martial arts never got here. Look at the weapons. Yeah. You would ask that. <laughs> <laughs> the weapons are nothing like any weapon you've ever seen in Europe. Right. And so, they that don't know how to use them. That would make sense because the natural resources are different. And, <laughs> so. and, and, and you've got a different mindset that develops what they should look like. Mm. So the African throwing knife, which I'm a big fan of, mm-hmm. is not even thrown. Like, okay, you know these uh, shows where they show you building a weapon mm-hmm. and then you have to use it afterwards? Okay. Uh, these guys build a weapon and they throw it like that. Mm-hmm. Because they're used to throwing the knives like that. Mm-hmm. But primarily, African throwing knives are thrown sideways. Like a boomerang? Kind of? uh, somewhat. Yeah. Uh-huh. The idea you bring a, 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 something big as a cow, or like a cow, or a bull, you bring it down by cutting its uh, ligaments in its calf. Uh-huh. And it causes it to stumble and fall down. Uh-huh. And so you throw it sideways. So as it spins, it engages the animal's legs and put them down, mm-hmm. and you come up and you got your meat. 
Wow. <laughs> Put it like that, it's just going to embed it in the animal. Right. Just, it might make him mad. To piss him off. Yeah. But you throw it like that, he ain't coming around, he ain't getting up, and you got food. Mm-hmm. So that's thrown sideways for a reason. You know, when I started, um, I think I told you I started in my 40s, I actually went through like a little martial arts encyclopedia. That's how I stumbled. And I just was so lucky. I ran into Ed Berger Wing Chun. And then from there, he told me about Francis Fung, which is where I ran into June Fung, J. Kennedy. I ran into Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu. And I got exposed. And I got to take all this stuff because I'm 42 years old. <laughs> Kali, I did everything because I knew I was older. And I just wanted to kind of understand everything. Yeah. I knew I was never going to get good in all of these at my late age. But my idea was to get a good understanding of yeah. how they fight. Yeah. You know, and maybe I could take something away and put in something, things that I do well and kind of use it. But I've always had a good appreciation for all martial arts. Having said that, you don't see a lot of African-based martial arts here. I don't know of any. I, the point I was making is during my search, I don't remember seeing any African-based. I know I saw Capoeira at Francis Fong, and I remembered that. But well, I thought of that as the Brazilian martial art at the time. Well, when I decided just... I was going to make a movie in Atlanta, mm-hmm. like I used to do in L.A., I'd get a small group of people together and make a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know any Capoeiras in the Atlanta area, and mm-hmm. I went on the Internet mm-hmm. and found Suli. Mm-hmm. And about finding Suli and him going to Morehouse, getting a master's degree, I think, in finance, right. but preferred uh, martial arts. Yeah. He preferred it so much that he forsake all his background, yeah. all his history. You, you may or may not know that Suli's ancestors in 1919 were the richest black men in the world. No, I remember you were relating this. My wife and I were uh, only 200 black students in North Carolina State in 1966 and 67. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of 17,000 students. Wow. That's where I, I met them because there were only four black kids, women on campus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so some, you know, sometimes we've kind of, re- I guess, outlived our usefulness. Now we see that the usefulness is coming back because the problems that we thought that we were alleviating by going to these others are right. still here. They, in never, fact, never they went. have multiplied. And they so now we have a home again where people need to go back to these places. Say what makes it worse now is we are now, we will in, in 2025 be the fourth largest minority. Not the largest minority, the fourth largest minority. That means the Hispanic. I did not know that. Yes, I... So Here in America now? In America. Mm. So you got Hispanics, you got whomever, Indians. Middle East. Because you know, uh. you got, yeah, all those now have superseded us as the minority population in the United States. I did not know that. Yes. But it's not surprising. So, in Atlanta, I know it's not surprising. That's not the case. Mm. But, but what that does, that changes the, uh, the, the thing for, I guess what it was when we got what we got back in the 60s. Mm. We're not that minority anymore. Right. We don't have that same impact. Exactly. Before. And so we may never gain anything back right. this time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, those other minority groups had a different pathway, let me just say it yeah. that way. <laughs> so, so their transition has been smoother. Mm-hmm. 
obviously, than ours was. But they came up with different circumstances. Right, exactly. Yeah. So they came because they wanted to go. Exactly. And, and there was a pathway laid for them as well. And then they didn't have to overcome as much as we had to overcome in regard to how we were respected or we lacked respect. Right. So I think people now see minorities differently because their mindset is different because their experience. Well, that's is what the whole thing with the. But they projected onto all of us. But the whole thing <laughs> came with President Trump was about you know right. minimizing the impact. We'll say Jews will not replace us and all those other right. comments about we are not going to let you become the the majority Dominant. culture in America. We we're going to the white culture is going to stay the majority, and don't you think otherwise? Right. And that's what Trump was all about. So nothing talking about him, right. but that's what we have to guard against. And one of the best ways is in our movies. Right. Not just black movies for black movies' sake. Mm-hmm. A movie. Mm-hmm. But containing that movie, embedded in that movie, mm-hmm. is enough black cultural uh, information that when you go away, you will take that with you. Right. And it will imbue you with a desire to see yourself and others like you progress and own mm-hmm. who you really are. Right. Tell your own narrative. Tell your own story. Exactly. If you don't, it's his story. <laughs> Do I have it, brother? <laughs> that's that's it. So, um, let me ask you this. I'm gonna uh, start wrapping it up, but I wanted to find. Do you have any young black uh, directors that? Your fans of now currently? No. Hundred brothers. I'm not. Environment. You see me home. I'm home every day mm-hmm. uh, because I have that home dialysis, and mm-hmm. also I don't get around enough to go places. Mm-hmm. But the people I've met, they don't have the experience. Mm-hmm. They may have talent. They may have desire. Motivation, of course, is desire, but they don't have the uh, empirical experience. And unfortunately, that's critical. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you met Tyler Perry? No. You know, I met that guy before he got famous. I went to see Angela Bofield. You remember her? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. She had fallen a hard time. She was. She didn't even have a band. She was on Memorial Drive. This was maybe about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was at ADP and a bunch of us. Hey, man, it's Angela Bofield. She had like a, a tape deck playing her music. But she still sounded great. And it was still Angela Bofield and we still revered her because everybody there was huge fans. And guess who cut in front of me? Tyler Perry. And I didn't even know who that was. Who's like, the big tall dude cutting in front of me? And he was just, oh, I love you, I love you. He's talking to Angela uh, Bofield. And that was my experience with him. There's another guy on the street there. Yeah. yeah. At that time, he had not gotten big. Yeah. Because he was there with us at a $5 show. <laughs> Watching Angela Bofield, but I was just curious because the Atlanta movie scene is taking off. I don't know if you get around much, but there are so I, many. I know enough to know that it has. I oh watched it happen because I haven't been here. Eagle Rocks here in Gwinnett, right down there on Jimmy Carter. Got a big studio down there. In fact, I just passed a set there. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's a place called, it says Los Angeles Police Department. Like, oh, yeah, that didn't look right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, well, this is not much. And they said, well, it's the set of a TV show. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I don't watch TV anyway. So I wouldn't well, know I what got, it was. I got a TV series I want to do here. <laughs> called Trouble Man. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Trouble Man. Uh, From the movie? Based out of Alpharetta. Okay. It's going to be so smooth, man. It's going to be so oh, smooth. Oh, cool. Um, then I got another uh, feature film called uh, 
It's a hip hop murder mystery. Okay. Called A Dark and Stormy Night. Wow. Is it gonna be based in Atlanta? Uh yeah. Or, okay, awesome. Yeah. And and Joe Man, like I said, he's officer of the Alpharetta. He, man, that would be great. He does That's he a good does, concept. He does insurance uh investigations. Uh-huh. It's based on Banachip. And you may remember. I remember Banachek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it requires <laughs> an enormous amount of intelligence mm. to figure out what actually happened. Oh, good. And so if you got to get something back. Something was stolen. Something was taken. And taken in such a, a way that you can't figure out how you call trouble man. Wow. Awesome. He's so a black man who's, who's confident in his martial arts. Okay. I remember Trouble Man Robert Hooks. Yep. You remember that? <laughs> is it going to be loosely based on him, or, or is it just some, a total, mm-hmm. just no, no, by coincidence, it's the same name? I, no, I chose the name because that's what my guy is yeah. going to be doing. That's awesome. That tells the audience right away. Okay. Trouble Man. So, uh, how far along are you on that? Uh, working on it now. Working on that? Awesome. Yeah. Anything else you're working on that we need oh, to yeah. about? I got 21 projects, man. Okay. I've accumulated these projects where I've been sick for the last 21 years. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, hmm. Can you, I take a Marshally Speaking. You have been tuned to the Martially Speaking Podcast with Jeff Green, where he explores martial arts, the fight sport, and the professionals who make it great. Tune in every Monday and Thursday on Anchor Podcast for your next lesson. Martially Speaking.